We're continuing and in fact landing our series that we started a few weeks ago called Untangled. And uh, we've got so much good feedback from this uh, teaching theme. And uh, there are so many challenges in life as humans, right? We have a tendency to get tangled up. And it's not just with fishing line. It's not just with electrical cords that we throw into the basement or whatever it might be. Uh, my daughter got married, Bethany, uh, last Saturday. Feels like an eternity since last Saturday. But... Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a wonderful moment, so thank you for that. And uh, I was tempted to put pictures up on the screen, but I didn't want to make it into a family slideshow thing, and would, we would have been here for hours, and we didn't want that. So, um, But I, I was responsible for a few things that day, and one of them was to bring up... Um, have you seen that? It's a game called the ladder game, where you, you throw these balls, right? They're connected by a string, and you throw it, and it wraps around certain parts of it, right? That's the ladder. So I didn't have a lot to do, but anyway, I brought it that day, and honestly, it took me about 20 minutes to untangle all the knots where these balls were all jumbled together. And my sister came over to help, my dad came over to help, my nephew came over to help, and it, it was an interesting time of untangling a bunch of um, ropes that had been, or twine, I guess you could call it, that got all intertwined. And they joked around and said, I wonder if there's any message here as we were undoing this knot. We're going to tie up this knot between Bethany and Craig and make sure it never comes apart, right? We're going to do this wedding thing, right? You know, they call it tying the knot. That's what we did on the Saturday. But we're prone, aren't we, to get ourselves into a little bit of trouble uh, where life gets a little bit uh, entangled or we get a little bit entangled as we do life. If we were to summarize the work of Jesus, he said it this way. He said that he came to make all things new. That was uh, one way of saying it. And in this series, the application would be he came to untangle some knots to help us um, kind of be useful, to be on purpose again, um, where the entanglements of life get sorted out. He sat in the synagogue. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, and he read these words. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to make kingdom announcements. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim or announce freedom. To announce freedom, he said, for the captives, those who are in bondage or enslaved in some way or incarcerated by their own sins, and release from darkness for the prisoners. So the will of God in Christ is for us to go free. That's what the premise of this series of scripture talks has been about over the last number of weeks. And um, God has always been in the business of canceling debts. I, I don't know what word association comes to mind when you think about God, the first idea that comes to mind. But canceling debts should be up near the top. This is what drives him. You know, God is love, God is holy, the forgiveness of God. God is looking, never forget this, God is looking for people to forgive. God is not looking for people to prosecute. Sometimes we get that backwards, upside down, and inverted. God is not looking to prosecute us for wrongdoing. His eyes are not scanning the world, looking for people to judge the text tells us God's eyes are moving to and fro throughout the earth to strongly support those whose hearts are truly his. God is looking in Christ 
to spread mercy and forgiveness to as many who desire it. And so um, God is, is not, he does not need to be strong-armed or convinced that you're worthy of forgiveness. He is wanting you to just ask. And the moment you ask, he says, just I'm going to lavish this on you. This is who God is. So we don't have to remain hidden. We don't have to pretend we don't need forgiveness. We can just come to him. And he says, oh, it's yours for the asking. It is yours for the asking. And once we receive that forgiveness, many of you in this room today know what this is like. You walk more lightly in the world. You are less entangled. You are free to be the people God intended all of us to be. And so this is what God is about. Now, said a different way, in the Older Testament, there was a celebration known as the Year of Jubilee. Have you heard of that before? It was the Year of Jubilee. So seven Sabbath cycles. A Sabbath cycle is seven years, seven of those in the 50th year. There was like a, um, a social and a financial reset. Um, pregnant within the Older Testament revelation was this idea that if there was perpetual indebtedness or enslavement, what would happen is people would be on the underside of power and miss out on life the way it was intended to be. And so the rich, yes, they get richer to a degree, but there's a season for it and things reset. Property goes back to its original owner. Slaves go free. There's a sense in which debts, all debts are canceled. This is what it means to be close to the God who is looking for people to forgive. Forgiveness is a financial term. It's having your debts canceled. And so uh, we are called to be free people. And um, the year of the Lord's favor is every year when we choose to be open-handed before him and receive all that he has for us. So, all right. Um, if you're able, would you stand with me? We're reading scripture together, and we've adopted a new posture. And uh, I like this. And, and it's better to hear a choir of voices. And so would you um, join me by reading our passage to ponder, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, in a way that your neighbor can hear, okay? Here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today and our desire to be free. Um, this is an important teaching. The Holy Spirit wants you and I to experience his kind of freedom. You know, our world has a certain brand of freedom, and it means throw off any and every restraint. And so um, we're going to be progressive in our culture, and we're going to decide what is right in our own eyes. And so we will become liberated people morally. And we will just color whatever lines we want to color on the page of our own life. And who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do? Rights and wrongs, moral codes of absolutes, they're old-fashioned. That's dinosaur era, 
right? This is the message of our culture. Unfortunately, many of us in this room have tasted it. We color outside the lines. We do our own thing. We adopt a progressive posture when it comes to moral uh, absolutes, and we do our own thing. That, though it seems to promise freedom, leads to enslavement. It leads to bondage and addiction and bad habits and a character that gets dwarfed along the way. When God puts fences around us because he wants us to be, and remember this word, safe. He wants us to be safe. He wants things to go well for us. He'll put us in an open space and put boundaries around us, not because he wants to incarcerate us or imprison us, but because he wants us to be safe. And we are open. And by the way, this open space is not like the backyard for my dog. This is a big open space with fences around it that are way out there. I got a lot of room to be creative and to move and to be innovative. And God lets me explore. Remember, in the garden, there was only one tree, <laughs> only one tree. The rest was all theirs. But he said, see that one tree right there? This is a test and just don't go there. It's not good for you. So God puts us, puts us in this big, wide open space and he puts fences around us because he wants us to be safe. Have you heard that word safe before? God is saving us, right? We are saved and we are being saved. One day we will be completely, our salvation will be complete, but in the meantime, God is saving us. And part of his salvation story is understanding the fences and choosing to stay in the open space he's created because what's on the other side of that open fence? My, my wife and I, we go out and take our dog out in the morning when it's still dark because we're early morning people. Mind you, it's darker later now, isn't it, in the morning, which I don't like as much. But we saw the other day a couple of raccoons go up the fence when we turned the outside light on. And so now we go out with Chase, and we don't want him to be a meal for the raccoons. So we are always looking around the trees and throwing these extra lights on and stuff because we want Chase to be safe, right? What's on the other side of that fence is the reason why God builds fences. There are things that threaten your welfare and my welfare. So this isn't God as killjoy. This is God as protector. He wants to protect not just you, not just your family, not just communities of people. He wants to protect the whole world because there is an adversary on the other side of the fence who wants to do what? Steal, kill, destroy, right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to rob you of joy and peace and all those things. So he says, stay in the fenced area. So the Holy Spirit wants you and I to be free. He's not looking to enslave us. Um, when you read the Ten Commandments, um, let, me, let me just go there for a moment. Uh, the first uh, part of the Ten Commandments, if I can get my Bible app open here really, really quickly. I want to read it to you. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. Here it is. I love this. The beginning of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Not to make you slaves again by giving you these commandments to make your life heavy and miserable. I am the one who sets people free. I liberate people. 
But the commandments come because if we're going to remain free, we're going to have to do life his way. And so when we talked about forgiveness a few moments ago, we say yes to his mercy and grace because we need forgiveness. But then as we make our way in the world, we just say one ongoing, continual yes to his ways. And as we do that, we are remaining free. We're remaining free. All right. So here's our text for this morning. That was just the introduction. Here's our text for this morning. Galatians chapter 5, we'll go verse 1, then verses 13 and 14, and then 16 through 25. Here it is. So Christ has truly, remember, he's writing to Christians at a church. So he says, so Christ has truly set us free. Those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus, we are free. Now he says, here's a cautionary word. Now make sure that you stay free. Because it's possible that even those of us who've been made free by Christ can be enslaved by our passions and desires that take us in all the wrong direction. He says, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again. Isn't that interesting? Entanglements. Don't get tied up again in slavery. And he says, to the law. Well, that's interesting. Is it possible that some religious codes could become an enslavement for us? There are people who've adopted a posture to the Christian life, which is in the legalistic zone. They make up rules that aren't even found in the Bible. Some people delight to do that. They love stealing people's joy. There are 613 commandments in the Older Testament. And in just a moment, we'll see that Paul, in step with Jesus, reduces it to one commandment. He says here, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Don't go through the gate and out around on the other side of the fence. He says, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law, here we go, the one commandment can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? You don't steal, you don't lie, you don't slander, gossip, commit adultery. You love your neighbor as yourself. It changes the way we approach life. So now he tells us a little bit about the conflict that all of us face in this room today. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is a willful choice we make. We let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So what that tells me is we never, ever graduate from the internal conflict. There will always be tension inside the believer because we still have a, a sinful nature that has not been eradicated. We are saints positionally because of the Spirit's presence in us, because we are free because of what Jesus did for us, but there's still an inclination, there's still a proclivity to move in the wrong direction. It says here, we are constantly fighting that. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desire of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, 
outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Paul says, if that's what's characterizing your life, I've got a warning for you. And here comes the warning. Let me tell you again, as I have done before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a warning for us. Not only will it not go well for you in this side of heaven, you're putting yourself in jeopardy on the other side. He says, rather, why don't we go this way? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, right? Where we say no to the, the cravings of the lower nature when we, we refuse to be entangled because we want Jesus to be the master over us and not our lower nature. There is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires to their sinful nature, uh, sorry, of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we're living by the Spirit, this is who we are as Jesus followers. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part. There isn't one part of our lives that remains untouched. We want to follow the Spirit's leading. All right, so in the remaining time that we have today, I will be uh, just moving through three thoughts uh, today. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit and our sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other. Uh, we have this inner tension. These two forces, Paul writes in Galatians 5, are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. When you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. The Spirit of God wants to free you, wants to free me um, from the law. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be free from the law? The law is good, as we understand it in the Older Testament. It is an expression of the, um, the heart and character of God, right? We've talked about this before. Every time we see a precept, it leads us to a principle which takes us to the person of God. And so when God says, do not lie, it's because when we lie to one another, we hurt one another. And the principle is God doesn't want us to hurt one another. And the person of God is, what is God? God is truth. So the moment we begin spreading lies and slandering people, not only are we hurting other people, we're actually uh, behaving in a way that's inconsistent with the image that we bear. We are all image bearers of God. And so um, freedom from the law. The law is good, but the law serves a purpose. The law's purpose is to lead us to a place where we actually end up saying, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. It's too much. The law is overwhelming. There isn't one person on the planet apart from the Lord Jesus himself who has kept all of the law. And so the law actually confronts us with our inability to be good enough on our own. And it points us somewhere. It points us to Jesus. And then Paul would write later and say that um, when we carry each other's burdens, what, what happens? We fulfill the law of Christ. And so um, when we approach rules... And I think Pastor Al gave a great talk about this, I believe it was uh, in the summertime, uh, this idea of rules and rule keeping. When we set out a list of things and we just check the boxes and try to be good enough, number one, we're going to wear ourselves out. That is an exhausting way to live life. When we say yes to God, we follow the Lord Jesus and his spirit comes to live within us. Now we have like a, um, 
we have like a homing device that leads us to true north. And, and it's, it's out of giving ourselves to his purposes, out of a heart of devoted love that we end up staying in step with the spirit and being liberated from trying to be good enough to earn our way. See, the law leads us to Jesus where we throw up our hands and say, who will save this wretched man that I am because I can't be good enough. And so Paul writes and says, as a Jesus follower, don't go back into rule keeping. Now, it doesn't mean that the law doesn't serve a purpose. There's part of the revelation of God. The 10 commandments, by the way, are still in play. We don't say, hey, listen, I'm free from the law. I can murder and I can lie and I can steal and commit adultery. No, these, these, these things are good. These things are beautiful. But they're not the way that we earn ourselves to achieve God's favor. 613 commandments, you've broken them and will continue to do so to some degree. But thanks be to God for his spirit that leads us to the one commandment. The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. We've said this before. You want to evaluate how you're doing in the Christian life? How are you doing at loving your neighbor? How are you doing at loving the person who doesn't like you? That'll, that'll be a, a metric to, to meditate on. How am I doing treating the one who doesn't treat me very well? That's huge. The spirit of Jesus, right? The Sermon on the Mount is filled with this. They ask you to go one mile. Say, can I go another mile? Turn the other cheek. What's that about? In the middle of even some form of mistreatment, we say, I won't demand a pound of flesh. I will choose the better way, which is love. And in choosing the better way, which is love, guess what happens? We set ourselves free. When we say, I'm going to get you back for what you did to me, we put ourselves in a prison of our own making. And we end up being enslaved by bitterness and resentment and hostility. And we lose our peace and our joy. And we become fixated on getting even and retribution and all of those things. And that is one of the tactics of the enemy. He wants to create offenses among, his pe- among God's people so that we get preoccupied with all the things that have been done to us rather than what Jesus did for us. There's a very big difference there. Scripture is filled with all sorts of admonitions that says when somebody wrongs you, trust God. Trust God. The things you do in secret that are for his glory and honor, don't you worry. He keeps good books and he will reward you. And what is done to you that is evil and unacceptable and offside and breaks his heart, don't you worry. He can deal with the people who have hurt you. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. Neither do I. But what about justice, pastor? There's a place for justice. That's a whole other sermon. There's a place for justice. There's a place for consequences. But when we take matters into our own fallen hands... We will execute what we deem to be justice in a way that will not probably be in step with what is best and right for the other and for us. I've said this before many times. I'll keep saying it because I say it to myself. We want justice for everybody else and we want grace and mercy for us. We, we need to live with that one for the rest of our lives. Somebody wrongs you, boy, they got to pay. When we wrong somebody, I didn't mean to. (laughs) I had a bad day. I had a bad week. I didn't sleep well last night. There's always a reason for us when we've stepped on somebody else's toes, but when somebody else steps on our toes, they did it on purpose. They knew what they were doing. The reason this is so important and the reason I'm teasing this out is because it's 
the most important commandment to love your neighbor without condition. Aren't you glad God loves you without condition? Uh, by the way, you don't have to like your neighbor. Are there, are there any people in the world you don't like? You don't know what to do right now, do you? You're saying, is he, is he setting me up? And, and don't look left or right either, but I'm sure if you're like me, pastor doesn't like some people. Some people are harder to like than others. And remember, I've said this before many times over my 16 years here, I'm actually the harder to like person for some others. Could you imagine that? <laughs> when somebody thinks about some people who are hard to like, my name comes to their mind. Wow. What's wrong with these people, right? <laughs> Liking and loving are not the same thing. I don't have to like you to love you. You don't have to like me to love me either. But here's the really cool thing, which is really hard for me to get my head around. Not only does God love you, which means he's always wanting what's best for you, he actually likes you too. Come on, are you kidding me? He likes everybody? How can he do that? Because we're all so different. He likes us all. I love that. He made you. He gave you that body that you might not like as much. That personality and temperament and the way you were shaped in your family of origin, the things you'd want to do different. Yeah, he's the redeemer of all things. He's making you the best version of yourself and he actually likes you. He likes you more than you like you. That's good stuff. It's very good stuff. So this is what it looks like. The Holy Spirit also wants us to be free from sin's rule because sin messes things up all the time. Always does. Just a matter of time before we catch up to the mess that we've created for ourselves. Galatians 5, 19 to 21, I read it already. There is a list of things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, the list goes on and on and on of things that we end up doing that are consistent with our lower nature and it takes us in all the wrong directions. Uh, here, here's an important idea for those of us who are in the process of becoming more like Jesus. We want to be sanctified, right? Which is becoming holy people. Not joyless people, that's not synonymous. People who are full of joy, because that's fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. When we have these imperfections, flaws, bad habits, perhaps addictions in our lives, picture your life or your soul like a glass container. And there's some sediment in the bottom. Uh, it's, it's there, and the sediment represents some of the kind of crusty, dirty parts of the soul that have accumulated over the years. And we're, we're living with ourselves, and we know it. Other people see it to a degree, but we know it. It's there. We can do one of two things. We can spend all day being preoccupied with ourselves and trying to go in and, and pull out the sediment one, one little piece at a time, and we'll spend the rest of our lives doing this, trying to get out another one, get out another one, get out another one, get out another one. And in so doing, there's probably stuff on us that continues to go in, and it's like, are we getting anywhere here? The other way to do it, it's like a spirituality of displacement. You grab a big, big 
glass container of clear, pure water. And what do you do? Which represents the Holy Spirit. And you pour him into that cup that's got some sediment at the bottom. And the force and the power of that clean water goes in, stirs up the sediment, and it overflows the cup. And, and the dirt comes out, and, and he washes you and cleans you up. And, and now you're, a, again, a pure um, container. What you were intended to be. You can't do that on your own. I can't do that on my own. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us up to overflowing so that we are the pure people of God he wants us to be. It doesn't take long in this culture to make our way in the world and to become contaminated by sin and the world. What does James write in chapter 1, 26 and 27? He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world and to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So it's both keeping ourselves pure and it's also doing something out of the purity of our hearts to help other people. That's what God wants for us. But it's so easy to be contaminated. That's why we need, listen, to be filled with the Spirit is not about a one-time moment. It is ongoing. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, I think it's 19 or 21 or something like that. He says, um, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being. The, the language in Greek there is in, in the aorist tense. It means keep on. It was like, well, I was at camp in 1976, and I spoke in tongues. Okay, that was a wonderful moment in time. God blessed you with a wonderful experience. But are you still being filled with the Spirit on a daily basis? And that, that's a surrendered, postured heart. That's the only way forward in the Christian life, is to say, Lord Jesus, come and fill me. Immerse me in your presence. Baptize me in your Spirit. And if he does, and he wants to, He's just waiting for us to be open to all that he has for us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of the fruit that's there will just emerge on the branches of your life. And some of those things that have held you back for so long, it's not about trying harder. It's not about keeping the law. It's about being immersed in the spirit and the power he brings for you and I to overcome our sins. Anybody stuck in patterns of sin, the way forward for you is to be filled with the spirit. The spirituality of displacement, let it come. Pour into you and drive all the sediment of your life out. All right, our true longings. Uh, We are made by God and for God. Do you believe that to be true? We are made by God and for God, and here's a big piece. And when we give ourselves to lesser things, which we have a tendency to do, we become less than what we were intended to be. We were made by God and for God. And when we give ourselves to lesser things, we become less than what we were intended to be. And, and God is love, right? So we were made by love for love. We were made by love for love. Uh, Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says that the Bible is one unified story pointing us to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is pointing us always to Jesus the plot structure of our life gets interrupted on occasion when we sow to the sinful nature and not to the spirit. And so God wants us, God wants us to do that. The Holy Spirit produces, Paul says, this kind of fruit in our lives, and he goes on and lists them. It's what he produces as we partner with him. He does the heavy lifting, we say yes to his work. It's not us doing the heavy lifting and God saying yes to our work. He does the heavy lifting, we say yes to his work. Um... 
All right, finally, let me wrap up with this one last thought here. Number three, the work of the Spirit. Um, when it comes to the Holy Spirit wanting us to be free, uh, to remain free, um, the work of the Spirit is the mission of Jesus. Uh, this is what I found over the years sometimes, and it was always unintentional, but there was this association that happened. We would talk about the Gospels, and we would look at the work and the teachings of Jesus, and then we would go over to Paul's letters and the other parts of the New Testament, and we would look at the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit was over here, and Jesus was over here, and we didn't see them connected. When we look at Jesus, we see the God-man full of the Spirit and wisdom, and how he is functioning in the world, saying no to sin and evil and dismantling sin's um, infrastructure in the world and inviting us to be useful in the kingdom. But we see the Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness. He is the perfect picture for us of what it means to live well in the world. And so what Jesus began to teach and do the book of Acts, we as the community of faith are intended to carry it out. Luke is the writer of both the gospel, self-titled, and the book of Acts, the church, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Spirit coming together. So if you're ever unclear about what the Spirit's up to in the world, look at Jesus. That's what the Spirit is up to in the world. And so here is what he is doing. He is dismantling sin and evil, he came to defeat the works of the enemy. He came to do the will of the Father, and he came to seek that which is lost. The Holy Spirit is looking for us to say no to sin and evil, to invite us to say yes to the will of the Father, and he is inviting us to have an eye on lost people and be a part of them coming home. And everything else in the middle of that is the sanctifying work of the Spirit who wants to make us holy, which is to line us up with his purposes. The more I learn about the Holy Spirit, I know about that much, Remember, he is the infinite spirit of God. Anybody who professes to have a corner on God and all that he's done and they've got them all figured out, their God is too small. Our small little minds, finite minds, can only grasp elements and aspects of how great God is. We're learning what it means to say yes to the spirit, to discern his guidance in our lives. But Jesus and the spirit, this is why often around here I'll say the spirit of Jesus because I'm trying to do what I can to connect gospels and epistles together. The work and mission of the Spirit is consistent with the work and mission of Jesus. That's important for us to understand. And then secondly, the Spirit leads us like he led Jesus. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading, Paul says, in every part of our lives. How does the Spirit lead us? Sometimes these things, when I grew up as a kid, it was like, it sounded so out there, so ethereal. I don't know how to put any, I grab a hold of it. How does the Spirit lead us? Now, here's how the Spirit leads us. Have you ever had a moment when you were tempted to do something and you felt the restraint inside to say, I shouldn't be doing that? It's called conscience, the whisper of God in the soul that says, no, careful, David, that's going to take you the wrong way. Conscience is the way the Spirit guides us. It's a restraining work of the Spirit of God in our lives. When we read Scripture, He guides us. Inspired by the Spirit, we read the text, which is timeless, uh, conversations with friends. There's a word within a word. Circumstances of life that come our way. God is speaking in the middle of the circumstances of life. When we pray, there's a sense in which thoughts come to mind. Promptings of the Spirit. What is that about? It's just something seems to come. 
If you're here today and, and you think that what I just said is kind of out there, what do you mean? God would actually guide me, the infinite one over the universe who's behind all things, who's, man, the more we know about the universe, we go, holy smokes, it's unbelievable. That God would speak with me? We're a speck of dust out here floating through the universe. And he knows about my thoughts and my needs and my fears and my issues? 100%, yes. Here's why I know that. In scripture, it says this, he who made the eye, can he not see? He who made the ear, can he not see? He who made the mouth, can he not speak? If we have the capacity to hear, see, and speak, why can't he? We're more capable than he is? I think he's speaking a lot more than we're hearing. I think he's inviting and he's whispering and he's prompting and he's trying to get our attention. This verse has been going off in my head and heart lately. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Stillness always precedes knowing. If you want to know God, be still. Be still and know that I am God. There is a God in the universe and I am not him. But I want to listen for him and watch for him. And I know that if I follow him, he'll lead me to a good and beautiful place. It's not about keeping the religious rules. It's about being set free from legalism, about being set free from the bondage of sin and evil and walking uprightly before him into a good, beautiful, open, spacious place. And I know that's what you want. And that's what I want. And uh, sometimes we just get too preoccupied following our own interests and our own desires and they lead us in all the wrong directions. So here's the last thought. The spirit works to restore us. This is good news. The spirit is looking to restore us uh, dear brothers and sisters, Galatians chapter 6. So here's how the Bible works, right? Chapters and verses were not in the inspired text. Chapters and verses were added later so that we can reference Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 6, and we can go there. It's easy to read. So we just finished Galatians 5, right? With the fruit of the Spirit and what was said there about us keeping in step with the Spirit and in every area of our lives. Then here's what he says next. This is like without, an, an, in, in Greek, it's just the next words just keep coming. Here's what they are. Dear brothers and sisters, with this we'll end. If another believer is overcome by some sin, it happens, doesn't it? Believers can be overcome by some sin. You who are godly, or in other versions it says, you who are spiritual should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Restore your brother and sister gently. And be careful, he says. Here's the warning. Be careful not to fall. Uh, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And so uh, the Spirit is working to restore people. Uh, the culture is canceling people. Uh, you know, it, it, all the, I find the culture right now incredibly confusing. Because the culture says, uh, what's right is right for you, what's right for me is right for me, and those two things, you do whatever you want. Whatever's right in your own eyes, feel free to do it. But then there's this like unwritten code that's out there. Oh, you did. Oh, you did that. You're, we're canceling you. You've probably seen that commercial on TV lately where this lady is saving up all of her money. I don't even know what they're advertising. Commercials are so good these days, I don't even know what they're advertising, but they're just pleasant to watch sometimes. This lady is saving up all of her money and she's talking to somebody about it, whatever the product is or advertising, and she says, I'm saving all my money for when I get canceled. <laughs> 
it's supposed to be funny, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to work ever again because culture's just going to cancel me. God is so grieved by the cancel culture. So grieved. I'll say that again. He is so saddened by a cancel culture. It is the antithesis of the redemptive work of the Spirit. He is always looking to find a pathway where he can help that person get up and get back onto the right path. Canceling people? Christians don't cancel one another. We may have a period or season of discipline, of correction, and we don't cancel. No way. We redeem, we restore, we repair. We patiently lavish with grace and help people up again. I said this to someone the other day because they were talking about somebody who had failed miserably. I said, I hope people stop piling on or they just want to keep piling on until he hangs himself in his garage. I mean that. People can only handle so much. Imagine having your name dragged through the headlines. Where is the grace in our culture? We have lost our humanity. And we need the spirit to make us fully human again. I'm off on a little bit of a rant here, but it's important. Because we're supposed to be different. Are we grieved by sin and wrongdoing? Yes. Are there consequences? Is it yes, yes, and yes. But we always say, okay. I love this about Paul. After Paul wrote a letter, and he said, by the way, you guys should be blushing over this sin that's happening in your church. And he talks about handing over the person, the immoral brother, so that he can be dealt with accordingly. But then later he says, oh, by the way, that person suffered enough. Enough is enough. Bring him back. Restore him. Bring him back into the fellowship of the church. It's important that we don't lose sight of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. No canceling allowed. Okay, so uh, we're going to pray today. This is what we're doing uh, now. This passage, Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. Important passage. And um, so we don't want to send confusing messages to you. There's a cafe out there. We put that there on purpose. If you want to go and visit with people and have good, rich conversations around coffee, and by all means, that's not unspiritual behavior. Picking up your kids is not unspiritual behavior either. That's important to do. And those volunteers, they, they serve tirelessly in there, so we want to make sure we're, we're using our time well, for sure. Uh, but others of you need to find a place to pray today because you need to say yes to the Spirit. You need to yield yourself to Him. He's leading you somewhere, and you need to just, uh, yeah, I need, to, I need to process this through prayer. So I've said this on many occasions, and I wanted to say it again. We want this space to be a place of prayer at the end of our gatherings. So if you want to visit, please, that lobby is a wonderful place for that. We built it for that purpose. But this is a place for us to uh, specifically and deliberately intentionally meet with God. And uh, we might pray with somebody else, so we might just pray on our own. But if we can just respect our neighbors by allowing this to be a quiet space, we'll throw some music on in just a moment, and uh, we, we will pray together. But those of you who need to go, by all means, we will, we will let you go in just a moment. So if you're able, would you stand with me? Um, thank you for your faithful and generous giving. There are giving drop boxes at the back. And um, we, again, very much appreciate you as you give to the Lord through King Street Community Church. And then um, also next week, Thanksgiving, it'll be a wonderful celebration. We'll have communion together. And uh, we have so much to thank God for, don't we? 
And so we'll have a wonderful celebration of thanking God together. And our pastors are available. Some of them will be over here to my right, your left. And if you want a place undisturbed, my left, your right, over here, you can just come and find a quiet place. We call this space, if you're new to church, the altar. It's just really the front of the room. But it's so much more than that when we come and we want to dedicate ourselves or consecrate ourselves or perhaps give up something. It's a place where we make the, the long walk, so to speak, to the altar. And so uh, you're invited to come and consecrate yourself or perhaps build an altar right there in your chair um, where you can um, consecrate yourself and, and, and connect with the Lord. So uh, as you decide to do what you need to do, let me leave you with a, a benediction. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his loving countenance towards you and give you much peace and much grace. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you want that blessing to be yours, would you say amen? Amen. 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 All right, God bless you, and have a great rest of the day and weekend.